anyway, we served 150 families here, and we did it with a skeleton crew. So, hey, if you were serving yesterday, stand up, okay? Because we had, I mean, it was a hard job of, of, of working. Okay, Stephanie, Team Stephanie, you were here. Yes, yes, thank you very much. You know, we, we did a great job. Now, listen, something else has happened in our fellowship. About two weeks ago, um, John was sharing, and he had an altar call for people to come and, and just you know, even if it's for the first time, just trust God. And, and there was a, a gentleman that came up, and he stood, you know, right over here, and um, he just was pouring his heart out to God. Well, it turns out that last Sunday, okay, and this person is um, uh, the boyfriend of Maggie's niece, uh, Anna, and they sit right over there. Well, that Sunday night, okay, he just absolutely passed out, okay, the squad came, and they took him to the hospital, and his, um, his diagnosis was it was a severed aorta, okay? It, and it was called a dissected aorta, where the mortality rate is between 60 and 80%. Well, the word got out, okay? This church started praying. Maggie's family started praying. And, um, you know, when it was all said and done, um, he got into surgery. Um, the doctor said it doesn't look good, but... He remarkably, remarkably came out of surgery doing absolutely fantastic. The prayers of the righteous availed much. Okay, we visited him this week. He's going to be out of the hospital tomorrow. Um, there were doctors coming into his room and like looking at his urine and seeing the color. I know it's a little graphic, but um, they were looking at his chart. Oh, you're the guy. You know, they were just amazed. But sometimes, you know, you think, okay, I'm praying, but does anything really happen? Well, I'm telling you that something amazing happened, okay? And isn't it funny? As God's in the middle of doing a work in his life, and then boom, he's almost taken out. But you see, God had other plans, right? Amen? Because God has plans for us, and they're good plans. Amen? You know, so God is moving, he's moving in this house, okay, he's moving around the world, and, you know, we can have, we can just have faith in that. In fact, you know, God is so confident about moving, okay, here's, this is almost a news flash. He is not worried about global warming. John, is that going to violate, like, our 5013C status? Okay, I don't know whether it is, but what if I said something like this, that this is a church that preaches the non-politically correct, non-redacted version of the Word of God? Will that get us in trouble to anybody who's listening out there? I don't know. I, trouble. Let's, let's get into some trouble today. But, you know, that sounds like, okay, that's crazy. But hey, wasn't it like, what, uh, about a month or so ago, some people in Houston, Texas, okay, the mayor and some lawyers came to the churches and said, give us your sermons. We want to review the content of your sermons. Give them to us. Well, the pastors, which was really cool, they responded in the biblical fashion. And the biblical fashion is this. When confronted with people who are challenging your faith, this is what you do. In fact, Paul told Timothy this. He said, Timothy, and he said this emphatically, you have not been given a spirit of timidity, a spirit of fear, but you've been given a spirit of what? Of love and power and a sound mind. And the, the testimony of the Bible is when Christians are confronted, okay, with intimidation, trying to squelch their voice, the response is boldness, okay? Gideon, who was called to remove the Midianites, Okay, the first thing he did was he tore down his father's altar to Baal and just stirred up controversy. But it was the boldness that was needed for him to move. Nehemiah was building the wall. People came against him. Okay, what did Nehemiah do? 
He says, no, we're going to build the wall. We're going to have a sword in our hand if you come against us. We're going to have a plow in the other hand, and we're going to get God's work done. But that's just, you know, that's just what we do. So the fact is that we're living in an era where being Christian, I just kind of realized this, you can come under a little bit of scrutiny. I mean, people don't like to say Christmas anymore. I mean, there's, there's attacks on our belief system. You know, I saw a survey, okay, and on the east coast of the United States, um, 25% of the people are, go to church, believers. West coast, about 25%. Midwest, that's us, okay, we're a little bit better. We're, we're in the 30%, okay? Now, if you go down south of the Bible Belt, you're around 40%, okay, believers in Christ. But still, you know, it's a minority. So we're living in a period where being a Christian, having the belief that we do, Proclaiming the name of Jesus, saying the name of Jesus, you know, dare we do that publicly, okay, is going against the grain, is going against the wind. And the Bible talks about this, okay, that when the culture rejects God, iniquity, sin, lawlessness abound. Um, you know, nothing about lawlessness. It says when the, uh, when the unrighteous rule, the judge's eyes go blind, and that what is right is not right, and what is wrong is not wrong, and that things get, get transposed. And, you know, it's, it's amazing how the Bible has been able to capture, uh, you know, a lot of these things. Um, the, the real problem with this, though, because, you know, I could go on and we can complain, oh, we're the poor little Christians, you know, we're so, you know, persecuted. Well, we're not persecuted. I mean, they're persecuted in Iraq, okay? They're not, we're not persecuted here, okay? But the problem we have here is an altogether different problem because it's a problem of the human heart. Because when things start to get, um, uh, when lawlessness abounds, when iniquity abounds, when, when right is wrong, our hearts start to dull down. I mean, do you realize that maybe one of the most culturally shocking things that happen, and mind you, we've seen Miley Cyrus on the MTV Awards. Okay, we've seen some crazy stuff these days. But do you realize that maybe the craziest thing that ever happened in our media happened back in the 1930s? Okay, now some of you are saying, oh, no way. Oh, yeah. The biggest movie of the era, maybe one of the biggest movies of all time. At one point in the movie, the leading man says to the leading lady, Scarlett, I don't give a damn. Okay, and he said that, and shockwaves were sent across the country. I can't believe it. Articles, boycotts, all sorts of things, because he said the egregious, absolutely, you know, just blinding words. Thank you, John. It's a great prank, and I love it. <laughs> but, but seriously, how, I mean, if somebody says, damn, we don't, we don't give a damn, you know? I mean, God forgive me. But, you know, seriously, we're like, we're like the frog, right? The frog goes in the tepid water, just turn it up, turn it up, turn it up, and you don't even realize it's boiling. Well, we're living in that period, okay? We're living in the period where things abound, and we don't even realize it. We don't know what's happened to our heart. Now, Again, this isn't about us being poor Christians. This is about something more important, which is your relationship with Jesus, okay, and what's in your heart. Because the Bible says that, that when this happens, our hearts start getting dulled. The things that we would get excited about, the, the things that would make us cry, the things that affected us, we don't feel them anymore. You know, there's a, um, there's a rock and roll group um, who back in the 70s had a song that talked about trying to reminisce and remember what it was like being a child. 
And this particular rock and roll group, uh, the last lines of their song was this. The child is grown, the dream is gone, and I have become comfortably numb. Amen? A little Pink Floyd there. Amen? It's, yeah, people, oh, yeah, he's cool. So, so Pink Floyd says this because, you know, we, we, we do. We, we are in an era where, you know, being numb is okay. Some people work hard at being numb. Some people consume things to be numb. But here's the deal. Jesus totally agrees with Pink Floyd. Cultural shockwave, cultural shockwave. Jesus agrees with that. Get this. This is what Jesus said about the times that we're living in. I went to get my glasses up here, and they weren't there. Okay. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and having a form of godliness but denying its power. And the word is have nothing to do with these people. So I'm saying have nothing to do with these people. How am I going to go to work? You know, who am I going to sell to? I mean, does this mean that I have to get off of Facebook? I mean, we're living in an era where it's all about me, me, my pleasures, myself, you know, what I'm doing, you know? And I, I think that the, the scriptures just nail, they nail the condition. And again, Jesus said this, too. Uh, he said in the last days, he says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. So because there's an increase in the atmosphere, I mean, it's ubiquitous. You see it on a billboard. You hear it in a conversation. There is all kinds of things that are like whacking on your soft, sensitive, childlike, caring, compassionate heart that are wearing it down and wearing it down. Okay, it says the love of most will grow cold. Now, the King James Version absolutely hits it out of the park on this. Listen to what the King James Version says. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And I think the abounding really nails it because aren't there so many distractions that, that steal the affections of our heart, whether it's looking down here instead of looking up there to the author and perfecter of our faith, whether it's movies, whether it's cinema, whatever it is, there are distractions, and they abound in the airwaves everywhere we look, billboards, okay? And it's taking a toll on us. And he uses the word wax. So I said, wax, does that mean like to wax? So I looked up the definition of wax. And by the way, that is what it means. It says to cover or to treat something with wax or a similar substance, typically to polish or protect it. So what... What Jesus is saying is that in the last days, layer, layer, layer over the human heart. Layer, layer, layer over the human heart. And things that you used to feel, you don't feel anymore. You look good. You're polished up, real nice. Boy, that heart looks good. You're doing the right things on the outside. But layer upon layer, you're just not feeling it. You're, as Pink Floyd said, you're comfortably numb. And this creates a condition where we're, we're hungry. We're, we're hungry for genuine heart feelings. I mean, sometimes, you know, you know why affairs are so powerful is they awaken dead hearts. They're wrong. They lead to all kinds of bad things. But they awaken dead hearts. And that's why that temptation is so hard and it's so strong when it happens because our heart was made for affection, for love, for encounter, for all of these things. And when we don't get it, 
there's something. I mean, we come to church, there's, there's something inside of us that says, I need revelation of the God who loves me so that, that I can get, you know, as a spiritual camel, just a drop uh, to get me through the week or to, to bring life and to remind me of how close my relationship is with God. Now get this, and I'm going to quote another rock and roll band, um, the Goo Goo Dolls. And they, they said this, and you know, you know the lyrics to this. It says, and you can't find, fight the tears that ain't coming or the moment of truth in your lies when everything feels like the movies. Yeah, you bleed just to know you're alive. And, and this is referring to like people who cut. You know, when you have trauma, when you can't express things, when your heart has had to become so cold, People cut. I, I have a friend who is a cutter, and I said, you know, why is it? Why do you do that? And she said, I don't know. It just, it just relieves the stress. It's like I, I don't feel anything, and when I do it, it just, it just relieves the stress, the things that you can't get out. But get this. This is, the, this is the product of the culture that we live in. So what do we do? I mean, the air we breathe, okay, dulls our hearts. It waxes over our hearts. And that's the question. What is the remedy you know, what is the cure, you know, to all this? Now, one thing, and it's, it's wisdom. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, who had the wisdom of God flowing through him. And if you, if you ever remember one proverb, remember this proverb. He said, guard your hearts, for in it are the wellsprings of life. So we're called to watch what goes inside of our hearts. You know, watch the things that we see that go through the eye gate, the things that we hear that go through the ear gate, you know, the people that we associate, the people that we give our affections to, guard your heart. You know, and that's great. That's great. But, you know, it's a defensive strategy. So my question, and the question today is, is there anything that we can do offensively, proactively, to start to scrape some of the wax off our hearts and begin to feel? Because isn't that what we want? You know, we want to be able to love our kids, to have those moments where we look into their eyes or, or your, your spouse, your significant other, that you just, you just you love and you feel and you're in the now. So I called on Steve Coker. Steve is one of the, the shadow prophets who just kind of goes around and gives people words and praise, and he's always listening to messages of prophetic significance. And, and I, I challenged you for, to provide some insight, Steve. What, is there anything that we can do, anything that you want to tell the people about this? Uh, here, I'll get it. I'm an expert at this kind of stuff. That light's on? Yeah, I do a little sound technician when I'm not administrating and organizing uh, technology. Hang on. No, wait. There we go. Okay. There's this really interesting verse in 2 Corinthians 3.18. Uh, if you've been a Christian very long, you're probably familiar with it, where Paul says, we all with unveiled faces... Uh, behold the, uh, the glory of the Lord as in a mirror. And then in that place, he says, we're transformed from one level of glory to another. And Paul assumes that's our position, unveiled, and also a privilege. But I have spent much of my Christian life, I love to come to worship because in worship, I would actually get to that place of being unveiled. But, but I, didn't, I didn't stay there. And when, I had, when I'd be alone with the Lord, I felt very veiled. And I, and I was thinking, but where I want to be is in that unveiled place. Isn't that what we all want to be known? And uh, I was thinking about unveiled. And if you think of a, a wedding ceremony, okay, and the bride comes down 
and then the Father lifts the veil. Okay, that, that's the image right there. That's that place where Paul says we can be with the Lord. Or, or if you're a guy and you don't like that image, you can be uh, unmasked, okay? You're the Lone Ranger and you take your mask off and it's, it's that face-to-face place. So w- w- what keeps us veiled? Well, in this same chapter, Paul was speaking of Jews listening to the Old Testament. And the Old Testament, with all its commands, he likens to a ministry of condemnation. And then he says, whenever Jews hear the Old Testament, they're veiled. Okay, so you get the connection? Condemnation is a veil. Okay, and I thought, yeah, that's, that's where I was many times. I'd be great in worship, but then when I'm alone with the Lord, I'd feel condemnation. Both, both about the past, what I've done, and I would feel condemnation about the future in the sense that I'll probably screw up again. How can I be unveiled? There was this... Uh, this lack of being able to be present with the Lord. And so to be unveiled, you have to be in the present moment. And um, in Romans 8, 1, it says, there is therefore now no condemnation. So your position as a Christian is actually without condemnation. But when you feel that, you feel it because you care. See, people that are completely numb in the world, they don't feel condemnation. It's, it's your tender heart that feels condemned. So in this same passage, Paul says, speaking of, of the Jews, he said, whenever somebody, he said, there's a veil. Then he said, when any, somebody turns to the Lord, the veil's removed. So to me, that picture is, you're veiled, but the Lord's right there. So he's not far away. So you just turn, and the Lord's right there. And, and that's, that's a place um, that in growing ways, we can learn to live from that place. So that, that, that sense of being open in worship, and maybe some of you live there, uh, it's somewhat new for me, um, but, but that's really a possible place to live. Does that make sense? Okay. What I'd like to do is pray just a little blessing over you. So why don't you close your eyes and, and take a moment and just quiet your heart, okay? And, and as much as you can, l- let the condemnation go down. Okay, Father, we, we are so happy to be unveiled with you. We are so thankful that you invited us into that face-to-face place. And, and so we ignore the past and the future, and we look at you, and we say we're thankful, and we love you, and we love being in this place. Remind us, Father, when we leave this place. Amen. Okay, great. Oh, not so fast, Steve. I got a question. So if, if it's as simple as unveiling ourselves, okay, why is it that all of us don't just spend time unveiling ourselves before the Lord in our prayer life or when we come to church? Or why, is it, why don't we do that? Uh, I, di- I didn't know it was possible. I just thought that that was sort of religious language. Being. So I, I think partly, partly experiencing it encourage you to experience it. Okay. So I think the best it feels in worship, you can have that alone with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, amen. I'll, I'll receive that. Good. Okay. Good. You know, as somebody who, you know, when, when, when Jesus nabbed me and grabbed me, you know, I was living the Pink Floyd song, okay? Um, you know, my son was born, and it was such a proud moment of my life. 
but I couldn't, I couldn't muster a tear. And I'm like, what is going on here? I'm really happy. I'm, I know I'm happy, but I couldn't muster a tear. I was, you know, I'd, I'd lived life so guarded that I just, I didn't feel things anymore. And I knew something was wrong, and my heart was craving other things, okay? And at a certain point, it's like, I am really messing up. I just got to get back to God. And in the midst of my coldness and my darkness, I would come to church. And it wasn't the, the word of God in the message, okay? But the worship began to unveil me and peel me back. And suddenly I found myself weeping. I'm like, I don't cry. Why am I weeping during this song? And it just built and it built and it built, okay? Until, you know, one day, you know, on my way home, I was like, okay, God. And I unveiled I didn't have language for it until Steve started sharing, but I, I unveiled myself before God and said, God, I, I'm home. I'm, I'm yours. I'm, I'm a bad husband. I'm terrible. I've done these things, and yet you still love me. And I spent 20 minutes just, just talking to God, and I didn't even know you could hear from God, but I'm getting, like, Internet downloads from, from Jesus on this, that, yeah, you haven't been a great husband. You know, you've, you've thought you're better than you were, but I love you. And I, just, I was getting all these things that, that it was like the sweet kiss of God. It's like a rebuke. Is, it's like a sweet kiss from God when you know you're accepted. But the point was I was home, you know, with Jesus. And that suddenly this cold heart cried for 20 minutes, and I'm like, what is that? It felt so good. So I know for a fact that when you unveil yourself, when you unveil yourself, God, he's been waiting for that. But, but our fear, and my fear was, as a firstborn, I don't know if there's any other firstborns or people who operate like this, but I'll be loved when I'm doing good. I'll be loved when I'm playing good football, when I'm getting good grades, when I'm going on to college. I'm loved in that place, but what if I'm not, okay? Well, I was in a place where I was not. I mean, I'm, I'm in sin. I'm in arrogance. I'm in, I mean, you name it, you know, I am, I'm in it, okay? But God, okay, was inviting me tenderly through worship, through something I didn't even understand to unveil myself, amen? And, and that is, that's, that's the call today because the remedy, the cure, what we need to do is not be afraid to pour out our heart, to peel back some of the layers that are there, because underneath, inside of all of you who are believers, the light of God is in you. The light of God is in you, and it's dying to express itself and get out and have relationship and encounters and things like that. Instead of giving you like a tutorial on four steps on what to do, um, I thought I would share something about somebody who is living after the heart. Steve, um, why don't you pop up a couple slides uh, if, if we can, if the technology's working. But my daughter um, has, uh, I don't know, she just, for one, whatever reason, went to New Zealand. Uh, and she didn't necessarily know why, but it's starting to become clear. She's eventually going to maybe do a discipleship training, you know, school there. But um, right now she's farming. She's uh, like, a, like a woofer farmer where they go from these different places and they work three or four hours a day. And then they have the rest of the time to maybe see the country and do these things. And she was recently baptized, and she's getting a sense that she's there for, you know, one of God's reasons. So she's out there in the middle of, you know, beautiful New Zealand, and she's spending time with the Lord. And this is a, a, a little note that she sent to me. Um, and and this, is, this is what she said. Yes, it's hard to picture me, a farm girl, but I'm actually loving every second of it. 
After work, I have most of my days to do as I please, so I spend them uh, hiking around the property, taking the kayak onto the lake, laying in the sun in the orchards and the vineyard, watching sheep and all the beautiful birds while listening to worship music, and just marveling at all of God's creations that I have never laid my eyes on before. It takes my breath away each day, and I sometimes find myself in tears because of how happy I am. God is always with me out here. I am so slowed down. I feel like he is a bit selfish with my time and love because he has me 40 minutes away from any civilization, so it's just me and him and the land. But I love it because I have never in my life been able to enjoy or explore such a simple yet meaningful and peaceful way of life. I am learning so much. My diet consists of all things he put on the earth for me to enjoy and eat, fruits from the orchard, Vegetables from the garden, and of course, some red wine from the vineyard. Ha ha. I really feel in my heart that God has sent me out here to do a lot of personal rest and healing and to build my faith because I have so much time to spend with Him and to read the Bible and my favorite thing, to worship Him in the sun. It's perfect and more than I could have ever dreamed of for coming out here. I don't know if you remember, Dad, but. Pretty shortly after I was baptized this summer, that one man, that great guy from the prayer team, Steve, that would always give myself and Nina and Gerard different words from God. He's so special to me. But anyway, he told me that God was bringing a verse into his head about me from the Song of Songs, about being dark yet lovely. Well, anyway, I didn't really understand why God wanted me to pay special attention to this scripture um, in the Song of Songs because it's about God's love for us. But the other day I was reading uh, through the Song of Songs and I was overlooking the property I think I now understand why God made reference to it. When you read there's vineyards, there's orchards, there's sheep, there's gardens, all these things that I am now being able to live and experience firsthand. I think God was trying to tell me how much he loves me and how he had plans to bring me out here to New Zealand and to this location in particular to show me such a beautiful place where I can continue to fall in love with him and understand love deeper after being able to experience the physical beauty of the earth and the way he created it to be. I have had moments out here where I didn't know if I was in heaven or on earth. It is that surreal. Basically, I just feel God has me out here for a reason. And I knew it before leaving, but now that I have a solid home base, I've made connections with people from the DTS school, I'm starting to figure out exactly why. Thank you for your prayers. I can feel them all the way across the ocean. I'm starting to look at a DTS application for July. I really know God will figure out a way to make this happen for me. And I can't wait. Much more to come. You know, part of what you're just seeing in me is just a father, um, you know, who, you know, made mistakes. And I think all of us as parents, you know, we're like, are we doing the right thing? Are we giving our kids what they need to make the right decisions and live for God, you know? And we fail. You know, I failed. I mean, I, trust me, I failed. But... Even though I'm not faithful, God is faithful. And he brings things around. And it may be circuitous. And I guarantee as parents, it's certainly not in our timing. Okay? But God is faithful. And we put our trust in his character and in his faithfulness to bring things about. So, so here's, here's this thing happening with Jason. I mean, isn't that, you know, on another level... Isn't, doesn't that sound almost inviting? It's like, um, JC, is there room on the farm for maybe, you know, about 125 more people to join you, you know? I mean, isn't that wild? Just, it's like, I'm just spending time out here 
with God and reading my Bible, and I love to worship in the sun. And, you know, I think that, you know, as you hear this, there, there's just an invitation from God to steal away, to steal away. Now, you won't have, okay, the beautiful New Zealand landscape to look at, but when you steal away in the Spirit, you know, you're with God. You know, it's, it's the same here as it is anywhere. You're with God, and as you ponder, okay, the blessings that he's bestowed on you, oh, God, my children, thank you so much. Thank you. As you ponder how some of you, maybe you should be dead in this room, you know, but you've lived, you've survived because God's with you and he's for you. That as you ponder these things, they become real. They become reality. That's the unveiling. That's, that's the face-to-face. And, and there really is. There, there's, there's a call, you know, that's out there. I, I want to read. I just want to reread something that, that, that J.C. said. I mean, imagine that place where your breath, it says, it, it takes my breath away each day, and I sometimes find myself in tears because of how happy I am. God is always with me out here. I am so slowed down. Folks, that's a prophetic word, to slow down. Okay, and we are in a strategic season. This is, a, this is the end of the year. This is, this is a heart strategic season because why? You're going to be with family. You're going to be with things that are going to stir you up and make you want to wax your heart because of dysfunction, but you're going to be with the people that you love during these holidays. And it's time for us to awaken and realize it's, let's be deliberate with those that we do love, the things that we need to say, the people that we need to forgive. This is that season. But even more than that, as important as that is, I believe that God is calling us here between now and the end of the year, okay, to just a time to steal away and to be alone with God, you know, and to just take a look at the year. I mean, this is the end of the year. You know, this is, it's very symbolic. I mean, God, am I, am I living in the tyranny of the urgent? Am I just doing these things and letting life happen to me and knocking things off my list and adding another year? Or am I, am I looking out here? Am I looking up here? You know, J.C. said something else in here. That's amazing. And if it's true, then it's something that ought to even stir us more to get into that place. She said, I think God was trying to tell me how much he loves me and how he had plans to bring me out here. He had plans to bring her out here. And to this location in particular, to show me, show me such a beautiful place where I can continue to fall in love with him and understand love in a deeper way. And you go to places that you don't know if you're on heaven or on earth because you're making contact with him. But here's, here's the interesting thing. Could it be that God has a plan for your life? I mean, that he has plans for you to receive from him or to do specific things. You know, Jeremiah said that I know the plans that I have for you, and they're good plans, not to harm you, but to prosper you. I have plans of hope and plans for a future. Now, <laughs> Ken... Had, there were some plans that were coming against him, but God had other plans. Amen? And I've seen the plans of God in my family that I, I know not of. That just, they just happen. When I was a kid, um, my dad was a salesman. He had plans of being a great salesman until one day he was coming out of a movie theater. He had a massive coronary bypass. And like Ken, he was supposed to die. He was driving himself uh, from where he was, okay, and to Beaumont Hospital in the Detroit area. And the pain just became too much to handle. 
And he was passing by Catalpa and Woodward, and he looked up at, the, there was a Catholic church there, and on the Catholic church, and I've maybe told the story before, but there's about a 70-foot Jesus on the cross. And my dad looked up, okay, at the cross, and when he did, the pain stopped, and he drove the, the other five miles or so to Beaumont Hospital, got into the emergency room, and he collapsed, you know, in pain. And the doctor says to my mom, he's not going to make it. This is it's massive. It's coronary. But God had other plans for Bill Nolan. God had other plans for our family. And my dad, instead of being this successful salesman who was out and we never saw, okay, my dad was at home spending time with us, being there for us, telling us about his family and the family legacies and telling the stories and imparting his wit, imparting his humor, and doing the things that fathers do and that they used to do when fathers would work out with their kids in the fields and things like that. And we got it. I mean, we, 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 we knew what it was to have, you know, a father who cared about us. And my friends would come over, and they would love spending time with my dad because he would be joking with them and telling them all kinds of things that he would tell us. And, um, and they just sort of envied, you know, that situation. But, but, but here's the point. The point is that, that, that God has plans for you, and he has plans for your family, that, that each of you, you have a legacy that is so awesome in your families where God intervened in your mom or your grandma's life or whatever, and your kids, and there's a lot of parents here, your kids need to hear these stories because they build your faith up. I mean, it's, it's your legacy. It's your history. Now, I'm going to kind of land the plane, you know, in this area because J.C. referred to the Song of Songs, um, and uh, that was the scripture that, you know, there was a scripture that Steve shared out of the Song of Songs, and... Um, <clears throat> That is like the ultimate book of <laughs> unveiling and gazing. It's the story of uh, Solomon who seeks out this um, very average but very beautiful working girl, and he falls in love with her, and they engage each other on a heart level, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But it's also a story about us. It's the story of Jesus and his beloved bride and how we respond and interact to him. And get this, get this. If this isn't enough to get you into the, the time of unveiling here in the season, this is, what, this is how it goes. So this is the bride saying to Jesus, listen, my beloved, look, he comes leaping across the mountains and bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there, he stands behind our wall, gazing through our windows, peering through the lattice. My beloved spoke and said to me, arise, my darling, my beautiful one. Come with me. See, the winter is past. The rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth, and the season of singing has come. So arise. Come with me, my darling, my beautiful one. Come with me. Folks, that's the call. That is the call. Not to be a Christian, not to take on religion, but that is the call of a faith adventure of relationship with Jesus. Come. Come away from the TV. Come outside the house. Come away from your iPhone if that's possible. Get off Facebook. Come with me. Come with me. Hear what I have to say. Let's dialogue. Let's unveil. Let's speak face to face. Because that is the cure for a hard, cold, callous heart. And I know that because I am one who is healed by that. And I know that when we experience God, and it can be five seconds in a worship you know, service. It can be one word that, that, that John says from the pulpit that just grips our heart and causes us to ponder and give us hope again. That word was for me. That is what heals our heart. 
It's that, it's that love connection. It's that heart connection of God speaking to us face to face. Amen? Isn't, I mean, it, it, are, are you stirred to maybe have one of those experiences? Well, you can. And again, this is a strategic time. And the, the takeaway from this whole thing, okay, is obviously God loves you. But the takeaway is this, is that, that you are entering into a real strategic time, a str- strategic heart time. And in addition to blessing and loving and forgiving your family, okay, and the other strategic decision, of course, which is to who are you going to watch the Alabama game with, okay? <laughs> Aside from those key critical strategic decisions, okay, take the time to steal away and let the one who is the lover of your soul, who has plans you know not of, speak to you, take a look at this year. Are, is your trajectory for God, toward God, or are you being enveloped by the iniquities and the dullness and the waxing of the heart? Amen? Okay, well, here's how we're going to land this plane. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to just proclaim, as Steve did, I'm just going to proclaim some truth over you. Then we'll sing a chorus, okay? And for those of you who want to stick around for overtime, which is ministry time, we have some special things on hand. One of those things is if you're stirred and you want that, just us to bless um, the, the unveiling process and going, getting away with God, even get an encouraging prophetic word, we want to pray for you. So prayer team, at a certain point, come up here. Um, if any